I sent it to the court and I CC'd her into this thing. Okay. Because the court case was on the Monday and it was Friday by the time I'd finished it. I was arrested by the police for contacting her. Because you copied her on the court order. Because I copied her into my reply to the court. Welcome to Why Daddy Never Cries podcast with your host, Chuck Kelleher. At Why Daddy Never Cries, we'll explore the lives surrounding daddies, their children, divorce, and silent domestic violence. We'll hear real-life horror stories from unsung heroes fighting for the ability to stay in their children's lives. We'll get those voices heard and hopefully find solutions before you lunatics burn the whole place to the ground. Hang in there, daddies. Chuck's here. Chuck Kelleher and Why Daddy Never Cries are providing his podcast as a public service. I've known Chuck for 45 years, and he's neither a lawyer nor a mental health professional. He's not a doctor nor a rogue scholar by any stretch of the imagination. Chuck is simply a guy who's lived in hell for 20 years. Once he found a way out, he drew a map to help others navigate their own way home. The views and opinions expressed by Why Daddy Never Cries employees or our guests are their own. Guest appearance on the program do not imply an endorsement of them their opinions, or any entity they represent. And please, for the love of God, if you have any questions or fears about your unique circumstances, please contact a lawyer, a religious leader of your choice, or a medical professional in your area. Don't fuck this up, brothers, because we're all in this together. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Voss G2, for helping small and medium-sized businesses elevate their brand perception with design. Take your brand to the next level at VossG2.com. We'd also like to thank Harry Duran, and his team at Fullcast for their amazing assistance. If you're planning a podcast and you haven't contacted Fullcast, you might as well call your show Podfade. John, welcome to the party. <laughs> Thank you very much, Chuck. Thank you very much. Good to see you. So where are we calling home these days? Um, I'm in Somerset in, uh, in England. Oh, nice. So, yeah, it's, it is lovely. It's absolutely lovely. We had a, a mini festival last night, and uh, it's all, all the Glastonbury type of stuff, so it's all... It's all good. Lovely people here. Why Somerset? Um, yeah, 20 odd years ago. Well, gosh, yes. 25 years ago, I met my wife here and uh, I first got into uh, teaching, did my first teaching job in Somerset. And um, more recently, which is probably what we'll talk about a little bit, my two year relationship with my now ex was also uh, in Somerset. My, my dad's half an out the road. My sister's half out the road. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of home anyway. So that, that's, that's kind of why I'm here now. That's nice. That's nice having the family around. Yeah. My folks are in town this week and they live in South Carolina, but they're up at my sister's, which is about an hour from here. So we're going yeah. to hopefully, hopefully get together sometime in the next two days. Yeah. 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 My dad's, my dad's elderly, you know, he's 87. So I, I go and do their gardening and, you know, it's just, it's just lovely to, to, to be, to give something back, isn't it? Yeah, you realize how much your parents did for you when you start trying to do it yourself. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Not having the support groups that we had. Hold on, this isn't working for some reason on this side. Hold on, what is this not doing now? All right, it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah, right. Yeah, you you don't realize how much work it takes to be a parent until you are a parent. No, no not at all, not at all. And those early days when it's a cute baby and everything, everyone's – all around you and but then when they're in nine ten eleven twelve you know you, you're left aren't you you're left to make these decisions about schooling about you know and you remember your own childhood and you think blimey the things i must have done to my parents you know the way they must have felt but as a child you don't think about that you just need your parents yeah um, 
as parents, you suddenly realise just how influential you are on your on your kids. You know, I'm lucky. I've got four lovely children. I didn't see my two eldest for a little bit. It was a very young marriage, and that wasn't that wasn't good. But we're great friends now. You know, I've always paid maintenance, always supported them, always seen them. And, and my my two children from my my 23 year marriage again, lovely kids, 16 and 22. Um, see as see them as often as I can. You know, it's it's even even through those bad times, they, they need both their parents, don't they? They just need you to be there. One hundred percent. You know, sometimes relationships don't work out, and you can't be there twenty four seven. But they need to know that you're there, and then that you need that that influence because if children are better off if they've got a good influence of two good parents. I heard a crazy stat that at the age of twelve, you lose eighty percent of your contact time with your children because between zero and twelve, they're yeah. around you twenty four seven. Now they yeah. got school, they have their own friends. Yeah, it really, it's one of the things that got me into to, to an education. I worked in a state boarding school. And I suddenly realized that these parents were sending their children away at the age of 11. And I was saying goodnight to other people's children. And I can count on one hand people I'd want to say goodnight to my own children, you know. Right. And there I was saying goodnight to 70 other people's children. And you just realize suddenly they've gone from parents all the time to not seeing their parents for months on end. So, that, yeah, that kind of got me into what I did for a career for 25 years. Yeah, so uh, ex-chaplain, ex-head school, uh, school <laughs> master. Take us on that journey, brother. Take us on that I journey. Know. Yeah, I I guess my mum died when I was quite young and that kind of got me into the church a little bit and then did did my degree, theology and pastoral care and counselling. And then you kind of feel a calling, didn't you? So got married very young, stationed in Gibraltar with the, with the armed forces, then came back to, to, to England, uh, did some prison chaplaincy, some schools chaplaincy. While doing the schools chaplaincy and, and thinking about my own marriage, I just felt that going into teaching as opposed to chaplaincy was where I, where I needed to be. And, and I met my wife. 23 years um, at the first school that I taught in and we're both teachers. So it just, it just happened. You know, you, we, we both love teaching, both got loads of out of it. And I just progressed and progressed, worked, worked hard and hard and hard and got to senior vice principal, best schools in the country and consultant and all that sort of thing until I was 49. And then, yeah, had a bit of a, had a bit of a breakdown at 49 with the pressure of it all. That's, that's another story. Yeah. That's why I got into teaching. Yeah. Okay. And now, uh, now counseling. You know what? The counselling skills, when, you, when you're a chaplain, you're dealing with deaths, marriages, breakups, children. The counselling qualification and skills that you have through being a chaplain are always, are always there. And then you're in education, especially boarding schools. The counselling skills you need, again, to support those children and get them through those difficult times of life. You know, those 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. They're, they're, they're rites of passage times of life. Sure. <laughs> and then when I, when I had my... I had my breakdown at, at 49. Head was just, there was too much. Now I've got myself better and back on a good track. It just seems so obvious to retrain and get the counseling qualifications and do that for a living, which, which is what I do. <laughs> it's what I do. It's just, it's listening to people, isn't it? It's just listening to people, giving them a voice, giving them the options to make their own decisions and understand the impacts of their own childhoods on what they're doing as an, as an adult now. Um, and being able to soak up some of their pain and, and let them know that they're okay, that they're decent. We're all decent human beings, you know. We all deserve a, a chance. And it all, always really boils down to the childhood that they've had and, and the, the traumas and pains from that that they bring through into adulthood, and have never really, are never really addressed. And so it affects their adult relationships, their parenting, their relationships, their workplace, and uh, as, it, as it did for me. So just giving something back again, isn't it really? Now you brought up listening, which is a skill I think we all need to work on almost hourly at some point. <laughs> what advice would you give to the younger guys or and, and women out there for listening? Like, what would be something? Because you've obviously done it as a chaplain, and as a chaplain, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you, you yeah. hear a lot. As yeah, a teacher, yeah. 
you hear some, probably not as much as a chaplain. Yeah, yeah. The obvious funny thing really is we've got two ears and one mouth, so it'd be good to use them in that proportion. That 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 would help any relationship. But the other thing is really what Carl Rogers would say is, is putting yourself in the other person's shoes, not thinking about how you're going to reply to them mm-hmm. until you've fully understood where they're coming from. And if you're already thinking about what you're going to say back, you haven't heard what they're listening. You're not listening. You're just not listening. So even though you might disagree with them entirely, get where they're coming from. And then you've got more of a chance of the conflict. Conflict doesn't have to be big. You've got more of a chance of, of making that friendship, that relationship, that work relationship work. Okay. And, and if both of you do that, which is rare, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's easy then, isn't it? Talking about uh, making a relationship work. Why don't we start from the beginning? How'd you meet the ex? The uh, the current situation the, you're in now. The current situation. <laughs> I gotta be. I gotta be a little bit careful. My my wife and I. We we just that was it. Divorce. You know. We yeah. tried and tried and tried. I'd been through a few two or three difficult years. It had not been easy on them and the family. But there there wasn't really that desire to 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 move forward with that. You know. We we, mm-hmm. we were beginning to be two different people. When you get through a breakdown and you, and you really look at who you are and you, you receive therapy. You, you, you come out a different person, and my my wife was still the person that, that she was, and and we just got to the point where the arguing was too much. I mean, even the kids were saying, you know, come on, mom and dad, you know, just split up, you know, it's yeah. okay, we're, we're we're okay with it. So I went for that. We're going to file for divorce, and I I moved out. So we said mum would have the house until my son was sixteen, which he just is now. So I I moved out. I did the, the the moving around and lodging. COVID had just hit. <laughs> I moved out and was in isolation after a week of moving out. And someone for, that I knew twenty odd years ago in you know the Somerset where I used to live just got in touch on Facebook. You almost felt like it was meant to be. You know, yeah. it was at the right time. It was just one of those almost magical kind of you know. And we got on very 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 well. She was going through the end. What she said to me was the end of a difficult marriage. They were separating. She had a couple of young kids. And we met up and just, it just, it just happened. It just, it just felt like it was meant to be two people in the right place. You know, I didn't know anything about, you know, the the, uh, attachment styles or, or, um, you know, anxious and avoidance. I didn't know anything about gaslighting. I didn't know anything about any, I didn't know anything about that. I've been married for 23 years. Why would I know (laughs) about any of that? So I didn't, I didn't see the red flag and together for eight, seven or eight months. And then I moved in. I moved in. What I was told was the ex-husband was away. He was in the Navy, come home at weekends and every other weekend and see the children for a few hours. But I was bringing up two lovely children. We were madly in love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to say. I, I, you know, I'd, I'd never really felt like that before. How she old was a little bit younger than me. They were one and five. Uh-huh. So she, she was a bit younger than me, but it almost felt, it just almost felt I hadn't been there because my first marriage broke down very quickly because we were far too young. Um, I hadn't seen my own children through certain years. I've always been there. I'd always see them every other weekend, all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And pay yeah, money, but been there. Actually. And it just, yeah, and it just felt like this was another opportunity almost for me to go through those years with 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 two children, for a father who wasn't there, with a woman who claimed that, you know, I was the magic to her life and wanted to spend the rest of her life with me and brilliant for the children. I, I loved the children as if they were my own. It was all just brilliant. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else to say. That I didn't. It never crossed my mind that this wouldn't be for the rest of my life. It just, just never crossed my mind. Yeah. Until, <laughs> and this is where you know you grow up very, very quickly. You know, I've seen a lot of pain in, in families, obviously with the jobs that I've done, and and then we we lived together for four months, 
And then towards the end of the fourth month, the kids were going back to school and she was going back to work. And something just didn't, I wasn't quite sure what was going on. just didn't feel, and I'm aware that anxious and avoidance do have this, do have this issue if they don't communicate properly. And we, we didn't, we didn't have any arguments. We didn't have any, you know, there wasn't any confrontation, but unbeknown to me, ex-husband wasn't ex-husband. He was back on the scene. Okay. Um, and he was, I, I don't know, but it, reading between the lines, he was making threats that if she stayed with me, he wasn't better to see the children, etc. And it was the very last day of July. I mean, not to be too graphic, but we made love two times the night before. We made love that morning. She was off, just said, I'm just popping next door to see some friends. 20 minutes later, we've got two policemen knocking on the door, evicting me from the house. I mean, she even said in tears, I love you so much as she walked out. We, we arranged to have dinner. You know, it, we we were the family unit. And then yeah. 20 minutes, too. I thought, I thought it was a wind-up. I honestly thought that it was a, you know, you know it isn't because there's a hole in your stomach, but it was almost like one of these <laughs> comedy, comedy things, you know, that, that yeah. the secret cam- secret cameras are in and suddenly they're going to do a strip tease or something. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but, but it wasn't. There was these two policemen and I had 15 minutes to pack my stuff and was evicted and homeless, really, because there's no way I could go back to my family home. Yeah. We were, we were getting divorced. I'd said she could be there with the children. And yeah, eventually they got on a train and, and went back to where the family home is to stay with some friends. And then she's messaging me. She's messaging me, uh, saying, I'm not sure I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I said, we were sexting. She was saying, if I asked you to come back on Monday, would you? And I said, yeah, but you'd need to explain what just went on. I said, sure. <laughs> well, it's, my, it's my husband. It's my husband, et cetera. And then, um, I was in London with my three sons. Uh, staying with them for a couple of days. Obviously, I was heartbroken. I was I was in a bit of a mess. I did you know not as much as a mess as a breakdown, but I, I emotionally didn't, sure. couldn't have. I just in pain, and uh, and then we were messaging and everything, and then suddenly I went quiet on every single front, and uh, said goodbye to my two sons in London. Got on the train with my sixteen year old boy to go back to Norfolk. When we got off the train station, I was arrested by four cops, four policemen, handcuffed in front of my son, handcuffed in front of my son pinned by these policemen my daughter had come to the to the train station because my ex had phoned my ex-wife and told her what was happening and i was arrested for um abuse i was arrested for harassment uh, physical abuse sexual abuse coercive control financial abuse all stemming from all stemming from the ex yeah i didn't have a clue for me it was like what's going on no warning no nothing the 16-year-old is with your first wife? My sister-in-law is my first wife. My 21-year-old okay. was my first wife, yeah. My ex-wife was waiting at the station to take the children because the, the, ex, the ex had contacted my wife. And said, <laughs> and you're, her, he's about to get arrested. You're going to want to get your kids. <laughs> and my wife, obviously, um, you know, we were getting divorced at the time and she didn't really want me to be having this this new relationship. She was happy to to, to pile in at the time. As sure. anyone, I was I would be as a man if, if my ex was saying that. I'd happily pile in and go, yeah, he's a horrible person. He says, it's fine, you know. I, I'd want to uh, show up for the show. <laughs> of course. And here I am. And this is, this is a city that I lived in for 15 years. I mean, anyone could have been at that station. And there were four policemen. Um, I was described as strong and violent and very quick. I go to the gym. I'm 56 for crying out loud. <laughs> I don't know how strong and violent I'm supposed to be, but, uh, and obviously very politely, I was brought up, well, happily, not happily, but politely went with these policemen. And they, a couple of them started laughing. And I said, how is this funny? He said, I'm really sorry, but we had to call special, two specialist policemen in 
because we were told that you were aggressive, violent, very strong, very quick. If we were going to arrest you, we needed to know we had the right people around. So that's how ridiculous it was. I was then taken to a police cell, 20-odd hours. Um, I suffer with borderline personality disorder. I've, I've conquered it. I live with it. It's no big deal. But anxiety, if you put in a situation where the anxiety levels were, were through the roof, you know, it, just through the roof. And then I was interviewed and I was told about all of this and uh, the physical abuse. Here's, here's what I did. I was changing a nappy of her son mm-hmm. while, she, while she was watching. We were having a laugh. She said something to me in a jokey way and then said, I'll oh, make sure you put the nappy in the bin. So this nappy was sealed, cleaned, done. She was sat five yards, yes, three meters behind me. I underarm, chucked the nappy at her and said, you put it in the bin. All smiles, all laughing. Right. Physical abuse. Physical abuse. Seriously. The other one, <laughs> in the early days, we, we obviously met in hotel rooms. It, there was a little drop of water in one of the glasses and we had a, a bottle of wine. So I jokingly threw the water at her. A complete laughing joke. Physical abuse. Physical abuse. And there couldn't have been more than uh, two milligrams of water in the bottom of the glass. Physical abuse. Coercive control. I isolated her from all her friends and family. She saw her friends all the time. Her family lived down the road. I was isolated from my friends and family because I was 250 miles away from where I used to live. Coercive and control. Seriously, my friend, I, I do not know what that means, and I'll never know what that means. You cannot prove it. It's to me, it's it's almost the new rape. You know, it's that word that you can put in. It's that vile that it, it makes the man this powering, demonstering person as soon as a woman says it. What else was there? Oh, sex, <laughs> sexual abuse. Listen, it's, she was considerably younger than me. And the sexual abuse was that I denied her sex as a matter of control. Without going into detail, we had a lot of sex, you know. Most so relationships. Just a joke, you know. Of course, yeah. we were in the first year of our relationship. Of course we did. Put the he penny in the jar, right? He was younger than me. I just got divorced. Bloody hell, you know. What, what? And it, was just, it was just a joke. It was an absolute joke. And the other one was financial abuse. Her solicitor, she said she was divorcing, and advised her to take some money out of a joint account and put it into her own account in case the ex-husband became financially abusive because he paid for all the all the bills because well, she was on maternity leave. Um, and, I, and I said to her a couple of times, have you done that yet? Because if he does suddenly pull the rug financially, you, you're going to find it really, really difficult. I spent probably £20,000 in 18 months on that relationship. In, in traveling and looking after her, you know, it just, and I, and I just medically retired. And this, this was my part of my pension, as it were, you know, and, so, and that was all thrown at me at the police station. I was released on bail, not able to contact her three weeks, and I didn't. You know, I've been through some crap. We've all been through some crap in life, but you can remember those days when you're not sure if you're going to survive it. August the 8th last year, I was in a hotel room on my own, on the phone to my sister, and the, the grief was almost overwhelming. That it was going to stop me breathing. I, mean, I, I don't. I honestly thought I, I didn't know how I'd get through it. And when I was very, very ill, I had actually made an attempt in my life three, three years previously. That's just the mental health. It wasn't me. That's the mental health. This one was just the pain. I thought it was for life. I gradually kind of got through it. I guess <clears throat> I found somewhere to live. And I noticed on Netflix that instead of using the husband who now moved back into the house, she was using my account. 
And I just thought, I, I need answers. I, I need I need answers. So I just sent on the Netflix a, a, a title of a film, something like, you know, this is so painful, or whatever it was. Yeah. And so she could see it. Within hours, do you not think it's painful for me too? I said, I thought, well, how can it be painful? You just got two police to chuck me out of the house. What's going on? You know? So I said, well, call me. She said, I can't because the police have taken my phone. So I texted the new number. She called me. Within 24 hours, there were two or three seductive and suggestive uh, videos. I miss you. I love you. When can we see each other? And I'm like, whoa, hang on. I miss you and love you too. And she said, there's nothing I could do about it. I'm really sorry. I felt trapped in the house. I had my husband doing this. And yet the only way I could deal with it. So I didn't, I didn't want the police. It was all him. He'd, and we started seeing each other again. So everybody that I know said, John, don't go back there because the same is going to happen again. But and we September, all do, so, and we all do. We never listen. Oh man, you know, I. She said, you know, the first time, the first time I went and, and stayed with her, I literally, literally said to her, I said, "Please do not go down this road with me if you're not certain, because I don't think I can go through." You're broken. You're breaking up a little. Said, you couldn't leave your husband before. Um, you told me last time. I, 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 she said, she said, I said, you couldn't leave your husband before. Um, what makes you think you can do it now? So, no, I love you. I want to be with you. I promise you, you've got to trust me. I promise, I promise, I promise. You know, September, October, beginning of November, two and a half months of, of wonder again, again, seeing the children. And it just, you know, if we weren't seeing each other, we were messing with each other 200 times a day, FaceTiming all day, Thursdays, when I, when I wasn't there. And then I'd go down there. And then she messaged me and just said, he knew. And I was like, well, this is good, isn't it? Because you can finally tell him, and you can, we can. This is great news. Yeah. And she was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." It is. She rang me on the way to work the next day, and I just, I just, I just said, "How do I know? How do I know this isn't going to happen?" She said, "You need to trust me." And she actually got quite angry that I wasn't willing to trust her. Ghosted me for three weeks. You need to trust me. Then she ghosted you. Okay. Three weeks. Three weeks. Left all the communication open because obviously I was messaging her, going, "What? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on?" I went down there but her husband was there. I didn't realize this. And then police again. So I'm, I'm, I'm at the train station waiting to, again, waiting to go home. Please call me and go, look, John, um, you, you've, you've got to stop this. You know, you've been harassing her now for, you know, August, September, October. No, you've been harassing her and her husband now for four months. You know, we know you have mental health issues. You, you need to stop. I went, what? I went, what? I said, my mental health issues have nothing to do with you. I'm very proud that I've actually come through a breakdown and, and live with a mental health and, and I'm successful. I'm, I'm really proud of what and I've good done. good for I'm, you, brother. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes. And and the police said, look, we've got all the evidence. Um, we don't want to, we don't want to pro prosecute you, but you, you just need to get out of Somerset and never contact them again. I said, what do you mean evidence? He said, well, you know, you've not seen each other since August. I said, I can show you tens of thousands of messages that prove not only do we see that we've seen each other three or four times, had sex God knows how many times, talked to each other seven or eight hours a day, and the policeman laughed in my face and said, Look, we know you're not well. But just 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 you need to stop, you know, fantasizing. And I said, just just stop. Just stop. I said, and I took my phone out and it took me just out what do hours, but just to scroll through that day. And, and before she ghosted me, you know, and, and he went, Oh, he said, So actually, you've been seeing each other for the last two and a half months. I said, Yeah. And her husband's just found out. He said, Oh, that's not what they've said. <laughs> of course. So he went back to her and gave her a rollicking. He said, You can't do this to a man. 
the only reason you're lying to us now is because you're trying to save face with your husband. Yeah. Um, and he came back to me and please said, he said, John, whatever happens, whatever she does in the future, do not go back there because it's... she's, she's wrong. She's, she's, she's clearly not well. Do not go back. Here I am heartbroken again, mm-hmm. living on my own again. I'm seeing my children, but obviously I get the message from the husband, I think, saying, do not contact my family, do not contact her, do not come around, do not do that. All, all done, all completely done. But I'm not blocked on her messenger. I don't contact her. Yeah. Absolutely nothing for two and a half to three weeks. Um, and I go through that pain all over again. Two and a half weeks after all of this, I get a message from her. I love you. I miss you. I need to see you. I mean... By then, I should have really. I mean, I, I should have really. You should have, John. I I totally <laughs> and utterly admit that I was the, the marbles were in the wrong order. You know, I, I should have got the message. But she said to me, "No, I had to because my husband had threatened to take the children away from me." And all of this victim love mm-hmm. story, all of this. Uh, so we again we started chatting away, and just before Christmas, I said, "Look, I'm going to put a boundary in here. You've got Christmas with your family. I'm on my own for Christmas, and I." I think we should just have four or five days where we just don't contact. So there's just to put a boundary around it and we'll start again after Christmas. Again, that's where all the, you're just doing this to hurt me. I said, what? I said, you've just ghosted me for three weeks. I'm just trying to be sensible. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to be sensible. And then um, after Christmas again, we, the messages started again. Yeah, I was a little bit more cagey. But the messages started again. Yeah, we, we, we wanted a future together, uh, planning for me to move down. And she knew I was moving down where they lived, booked the place, even knew who I was, where I was moving to and who. And then end February, beginning of March, I just, I, I got angry with her on the phone. Not angry in, a, in, a, in an, an abusive way, but just, a, look, what, what is happening here? Because I'm about to move down to where you live because you're telling me once again that you're going to leave your husband and ghosted. I moved down here. Fine, getting on with my life, doing the things that I do here, get in the gym, do the wet. And I think, right, I'm just going to go around her house and I'm just going to go, we're two adults here, we need to sort this out. Went around the house, knocked on the door, she didn't answer, sent her a message, said, look, I know you're there, I'm just trying to... Yeah, you're, break, you're breaking up again. Sure, we're adult here, I need to sort it out. I go back to, to my house after 10 minutes later, I've got the police knocking on the door, saying, we've told you to, to leave well alone, you know, you've, you've not seen each other since, since December, you know, the relationship's over. I said, we're here again. I said, I can now show you thousands and thousands of sex. And we're, and we're there again. So I stay in the street uh, for my own benefit. You know, I, I first taught here. I wanted to face the demons of it all. And next thing, I've got a non-molestation order. I've got a non-molestation order, no-notice non-molestation order for physical violence, coercive behavior, sexual violence, financial violence, all of these things given to me. I'm not allowed to go within 200 meters of the house. I'm not allowed to contact her. Here's, here's, here's the biggest one. I'm not allowed to go near the schools because they're frightened that I will abduct the children. I've been a, a chaplain and I've been in education for 25 years. I gave 18 months to looking after those children. I loved them as if they were my own. Yeah. And that was given by a judge without due diligence to who she was or what she was saying, without any idea of whether it was true or not. That was on my non-molestation order. Now you're an attempted kid, or you're a possible kidnapper of technically other people's children. Other people's children <laughs> are going to kidnap. You know, she's frightened of seeing me because of what I might do to her. 
what I've ever done is is flick some water and an underarm chucked a nappy as a laugh. All all sorts of stuff is coming out. Let me just jump so in, John. I got to let. I just got to let the American uh, viewers know a nappy's a diaper. Yeah, diaper. Yeah, diaper. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Nappy's a diaper. And and so I challenged this non-model. It took me two weeks. I sent a seventeen-page document with facts, evidence, phone messages to prove it all to be a pile of rubbish. And <laughs> I sent it to the court, and I seed her into this thing. Okay. Because the court case was on the Monday, and it was Friday by the time I'd finished it. I was arrested by the police for contacting her. Did you copy her on the court order? Because I copied her into my reply to the court order, which is actually my legal right. 20 hours in a prison cell, again, again on bail. And then there was a harassment, she was trying to do a harassment case as well, because she told the police that she'd actually, she actually told the police that she'd not seen me since September. And the only reason she kept in touch with me was to, uh, because she was afraid of me. Oh. From September to December, we had sex 50 times. We From December to, to March, we were on the phone every single day. I mean, it was just the normal the normal stuff. So the police said, you know, have you got evidence to counter this so that when we send it off to the court? And I said, yeah, I've got, I've got hundreds of thousands. To scroll through one day on Messenger, I tell you no, no word of a lie, to scroll through one day on Messenger takes an hour and a half. That's how many messages we sent to each other. An hour and a half to scroll through the Yeah. So I spent, I think, about 19 hours um, just on the February finding all this evidence. And uh, we used to laugh about this a lot. When when you're scrolling on the evidence, you sometimes press the thumbs up button at the bottom. Mm-hmm. I used to do it. I used to do it all the time. I haven't got a friend who doesn't go, oh, thumbs up again, John. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize. And what you can do sometimes if you're scrolling from the top is you press the phone number. We all do it in 19 hours of work that the police have actually, have actually been doing to give the evidence. I pressed the thumb once and I pressed the number once. Completely stopped it straight away as soon as I realized what I'd done. And I wrote to the police and said, I've done this. Yeah. Okay. I then provided all the evidence so that when the harassment case went to Crown Court, they dropped it. You broke up. Police knocking on the door. We're arresting you for violation of norm. The police knocking on the door. We're arresting you for violation of your non-mole you've tried to contact her twice and you've cc'd her into a document i pressed the thumbs up by mistake while doing 19 hours of work going through all these harrowing messages to prove that she that she's a liar and you have to actually go through the physical messages to document everything literally go through these messages hour after hour to make sure her case was unproven 40 hours in a police cell 27 without medication and 15 without food 15 without food. 15 without food. Was denied a phone call twice. And when I was interviewed, the police had put some new evidence into the non-mole. They'd actually put a map with the 200-meter circle around it. And I said, I've never seen that before. I said, yeah, it's in your non-mole. I said, no, it isn't. I said, no, it's, it's in there. I was 187 meters away from the house. I go to the gym. You know, I I walk an extra half a mile to go to the gym so I don't walk through their road, you know. Yeah. I was 187 metres away from the house. So my crimes are CC'd her into a document, pressed the thumb, pressed the phone number, and 187 metres within our house. Yeah? I'm going to Crown Court on Monday. Tomorrow. 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 I'm going to Crown 
court for breaking of a non-mol. When the police evidence came through, which they have to give you for the Crown Court, they have evidenced that everything she says in a non-mol is a complete lie. So they knew the non-mol was a lie, but because I'd broken the non-mol, they thought they could get a, a conviction out of me and sent me to court, even though they knew she was completely lying. Just, yeah. Now, when you go before a judge now, and the judge knows the lies are there, have you been down this road before? Have never, you... ever. I've never been to a court before in my life. <laughs> this is your first one on Monday? Oh. Well, I, well, we went to the magistrates to start with, and okay. the, the lawyer said, look, just there's a chance on this CCing that technically you it might be found as contacting her. I can't afford to have a criminal record. I'm, I'm going to be a counsellor working with, with children. A bit. I, can't, I can't afford that. So we've now gone to, to Crown, and that's on Monday. So I don't know what's going to happen. So I, I have no idea what's going to happen. Crown Court is criminal court over there, I guess. It's and then court, yeah. family court is family yeah. court. I, mean, I think it's the same. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I've still got this normal in the family court. That's on Thursday. But, be, but I can't use the stuff in the Crown Court to prove that she's lying in the normal. It's, it, the system is it's just it's unbelievable. You know, I'm having to tell my 87-year-old father that I'm going to Crown Court on Monday. I'm having to tell my 87-year-old father I've been accused of sexual abuse, violence abuse, financial abuse, coercive control. You know, he doesn't understand. No. He says, he says well, there must be, there can't be, you know, smoke without a fire. I said, Dad, you don't know. Breaking up. Any woman can make accusations. Some woman can make an accusation to the police. There will be a no-notice non-mol. There will be no due diligence done over the woman, her state of mind, or the claim. And the man will be seen guilty until proven innocent. In a family court, it's 51% probability. It's not even fact. 51% probability. Well, hell, she's a woman, a man. There's your 51%. We lost you again. So it would, it would cost me £10,000 to fight the normal. And there's a, every chance that you would lose it anyway, because it's on, it's on feelings. It's on that that's how she feels scared of you. It's not my fault, is it? <laughs> I haven't done anything, you know? Something yeah. I got to jump into, and this is so foreign to me, is the fact it seems the police can take your guys' phones and keep them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so in America, you know, that would the press would be all over that. You can't take people's personal – you need a warrant. You need reason to take anything here. No. So that is mind-boggling to me. Six months I was without my – on the first arrest, six months without my phone. And this is me in the middle of nowhere with, I've lost all my contacts. Again, for someone, I feel for people who aren't as strong. You know, had that happened to me two years ago when I was going through my mental health illness, I, I'd have probably died. Yeah. I, I would have probably ended my life. Eight men in the United Kingdom killed themselves. You know, and the police system and this, this non-due diligence over the women and assuming the man is guilty, that just adds to this, to this data. You know, it, it's, beyond me that a woman is seen as totally innocent and a man is seen as totally guilty i get why the law was put in there you want to protect vulnerable women don't get me wrong in the slightest and it needs to remain in there but it needs to be changed yeah my phone was gone i was in the middle of nowhere didn't know where didn't have any contacts and they can just go go right through your phone pull up your emails read everything they they, they, they could do anything they could do anything they wanted to do do you know what they did nothing they just kept it. Oh, it's an ongoing investigation. Five months later, they came around my house with my phone and apologized. I said, yeah, we, we, we got this wrong. We, there's always two sides to the story. Sorry. 
Yeah. Well, second, how would that have helped if I'd have jumped in the river? You know, how would that have helped if I'd, you know, in, Absolutely. in all seriousness, you know, they knew I had mental health because they'd accused me of it before. How would it? Didn't bother them in the slightest. This is a police force who knew that the non-mole was lies because it had been proven by all everything that I'd sent and yet still books me for breaking the non-mole. I mean, we've got to get this message out there that the law is, it's there for the right reason, but we've, we've developed now. And there needs to be this gaping black hole where I've just been speaking to, uh, listening to a guy who um, hasn't seen his children for eight months. So, you know? it's so painful. He, he's, not done, he's not done anything, but she's accused him of all these sorts of things. Eight months. Oh, it's an ongoing investigation, so we can't, not even, not even any supervised time with his kids. You know, just eight months not seeing his children. And you know, you know what happens in the environment. In those eight months, the, the woman can talk to who she likes about it all. Mm-hmm. We're not allowed to talk to anyone. We're, we're still under investigation. So in those eight months where you don't see your children, you're not allowed to talk about it. She has told every single Tom, Dick, Harry, Mary, Lucy, and Jane that you're a sexual abuser, you're a financial abuser, you're not, you're, even the environment that you live in, you get people kind of looking at you as if, oh, that's him, that's him, that's him, that's the one. And your whole life is completely taken away because a woman has the legal right to take out a non-molestation order against you full of lies and the police of the court implements it without any due diligence over the woman. And it breaks men. It kills men. It breaks you. You know, and I'm going to court. Crown court, where people are put down for murder. I'm going to crown court for CCing her into a document to court for pressing a thumb by mistake after being 170 meters within a house. And now what are you looking at for this? Is there a chance that you're not walking out of court tomorrow, but you're going back to a cell? No, I don't think so. I'm, not, I'm pleading not guilty okay. because if, well, if I were to plead guilty, I'd be lying. Right. So no plea bargaining here. They want the police wanted to keep me in, in prison between when I was arrested and, and today, three and a half weeks, even though they knew the normal law was lies. They wanted to keep me in prison because I was a threat to her because she was so frightened of me and so scared. There's, there's every chance that it'll be thrown out. We're pretty confident that it'll be not guilty on all three. But you just don't know what's going on. And that's anxiety just, that they don't, don't care know about. They know that the court might be down on its numbers of prosecution. The police don't want to be seen as idiots. It may be just the wrong judge who's got a thing for, yeah. for men. I, I, you know, the, yeah, I'm walking into a courtroom tomorrow, and I, I don't have a certainty that I've... That You're I've bringing a solicitor? Uh, yeah, I've got okay. £2,500 this is costing me. £2,500. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> I, I know we've all, and you got to do it if you got to get the money somehow because you're done. Just, what, what am I supposed to do? And then three days later, I've got the family court one, which which I'm actually I'm not going to challenge the normal. I'm going to get it to be changed. I'm going to say it needs to end after the year because I don't have ten thousand pounds to throw at this. Yeah, it's not a good it's it's not a good use of of court's time and money. And you know what? I think she wants to have keep having this influence on me, even though it's a bad one, it's a horrible one. There's a sense that if I can't have him, I'm going to still make sure that I'm influencing his life. So I'm, I'm not going to fight it, but I'm going to ask for it to be rewritten in a way that doesn't violate my human rights. I need to be able to walk to the gym. I need to, you know, I need to be able to just get on with my life without. If she, you know, if she sees me, she sees me. That doesn't mean I'm stalking. Oh, stalking! I was, I was accused of stalking, so, uh, loitering. Another one. All of this stuff. But there are women's charities who will tell these women exactly what to write and how to write it, 
to make the non-mole stick. Oh, yeah. How sick is that? She gets it all free. Get it all free, women's charities. There isn't one single men's charities that will help men who've been falsely accused, which is why, why the, the group was set up for falsely accused, and Mike, and as you know, and the, the, the many men now are getting involved in that. It's why I spend, you know, two or three hours a day listening to men um, completely free of charge. I would never, ever, ever, ever charge her and listening to their stories because we've got to get it out there. I mean, never, ever, ever want a law to change that means women will be vulnerable. Never. That's, that's not what we want. Yeah. One is to understand that sometimes it's the man that's vulnerable. And we've promoted a system where a woman can lie, not given due diligence, not challenged, and the man is guilty. Guilty until proven innocent. And in a family court, that's 51% probability. You know, there we are. It's, it's a story, no, Chuck. And no accountability when the lies are there. The, pl- the police have said in their report that they have to, yeah, we know she was lying. It's, she's lied to us several times. Uh, all of this is factual. There was no harassment. It was a consenting res- uh, relationship, NFA. No further action to her for illegally going to a court with a pack of lies and getting me arrested. NFA. No further action. I'm going to a legal court because I cc'd her into a document. <laughs> I, I don't want this law to ever put women in a vulnerable place, ever, 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 ever. My dad would kill me if I ever thought like that. And I don't mm-hmm. want to think like that. I don't even think bad about the woman that's doing this to me. I don't want bad on her, but she needs to learn. She, she and other women like this need to know that it's not right to do this. It's not right to do this just because the law and the court allow it at the moment. It's just, it's not how you treat men that you, that you said you loved, men that you said you were going to spend the rest of your life with. You know, it's not what you do. Fathers of your children, you don't do it. You're alienating a dad from a child. And right at the very beginning of this, we agreed that a child needs both parents. Yeah, parents might not stay together, but the child's best way of developing as a human being, especially in those first five years, is having two good parental role model loving people around them. They don't necessarily have to love each other, and a child can actually deal with that. Yeah. It's amazing how the child's brain can deal with that. They can deal with that. Mm-hmm. They, they don't take sides. They don't blame. They can deal with that. And they can even deal with that. Mummy's got a new partner or daddy's got a new They can deal with that perfectly. What they can't deal with is missing one of those parents. Because that then forms a traumatized child, turns into a traumatized adult, who will probably carry on doing the sort of things that the mother did or the father did in the first place. Circle so, of violence. Yeah, 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 full circle. A lot of times we try to give advice to listeners. And one thing I'd like to circle back around again, because I did not experience this, thank God, but you did. For our listeners out there, you're getting arrested in front of your children. Yeah. Good or bad. I wouldn't do this again. I would definitely do this. Any advice you can give to someone who's <clears throat> about to be screwed? Yeah. The, the, the issue with, with being arrested in front of my children is that I had absolutely no knowledge of it. I trusted everything this woman said. I think I really don't want to say this, but I think I would, I would say to people, just be careful at the beginning of relationships. Just talk to your friends. Think about possible red flags especially if you are just head over heels and this is just the best thing ever because avoidant contact people who are avoidant in their in their very nature for the first three or four months they will they will give you everything they will give you everything and then they'll gradually pull away when the emotions start because they can't do with their own emotions let alone somebody else's and if you're an anxious type you'll be like what's going wrong what's going wrong and and you'll push and pull so just there'd be three things Just, just listen to your friends make sure there's no red flags Get some counselling yourself, whether you, whether you need it or not. Learn about yourself. Agreed. Learn about yourself. The other one is just learn about attachment styles and just talk with your partner about attachment styles and communication. I guess 
they don't deliberately want it to be like this, but it can leave. You get those first bits wrong. You don't take due care of yourself and over your partner. You can end up being arrested in front of your children for doing nothing wrong. It seems like you were taken in without any incident. They brought in the they brought in the big guns to make sure you uh, they could take you, but then you didn't do anything. That advice, as much as I have to battle with my detest how I detest the police and the way they go about their business, they are still the police. I'm and, glad you said that. There's no point battling. No point battling with them. You'll only make it worse. All you'll do is prove to them that you're the person she says you is, and you're not. Polite, don't lose it at the police station. Don't do anything wrong. Always have a solicitor when you question. Be the good person that you are, even though all of your feelings inside you are full of anger and hatred and fear and anxiety. Don't let the police see that. Because you're only proving be, her right. All of that. And if you have a non-molestation order taken out against you, even if you know it is complete rubbish, never, ever, ever, ever break it. Ever. Yeah. Because you're breaking the law. You're breaking a non-molestation order that a judge has put in place. Even if everyone knows it's a load of rubbish, it's put in place. Do not ever, ever break that. And then you just have to work hard, you know. Don't slag your partner off to the children ever, ever. Yeah. And just work hard at getting that contact with your children. Work hard with groups like, like ours so you get that belief that you're a good person, even though... The person that you loved is telling you you're not. Uh, get some therapy for yourself. Not to make, you're not a bad person for getting therapy. You're a bloody strong person for getting therapy. You know, strong people go, go through therapy to make themselves stronger. And just hang in there. You're not alone. We're, we're, you're not alone. You're not alone. And, and we can change this. And we're going to change this. Yeah, I've got to. Yeah. I've got a great social circle, a great group of friends around me who uh, were supportive all through this. Uh, a lot yeah. of them are martial artists, personal trainers, uh, real badasses. Yeah. And I am uh, you know, 54, not a big guy. And they all say, you're one of the strongest guys I've ever met because everyone's still alive in your social circle after all you've been through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I go down the gym. I've been down the gym for 18 months. I'm probably the strongest and fittest I've ever been in my life. I played sports to a high degree. I'm 56. And yet the strength is nothing to do with the physicality, is it? The, the strength is about you keep it together. Keep it together. Keep your, keep your moral strength. Keep your, your spiritual strength. Keep your emotional strength because that's hard work. That's a, that's hard work where the world seems to be throwing everything at you. I like what I'm doing. I like what False Allegations Network UK is doing. Yeah. Hopefully, we're yeah. gonna get guys over here starting that. Without yeah. these support groups, it really comes down to can you handle it? Now, I was lucky for some yeah. reason. I was able to talk myself out of the demons. Yeah, alone yeah. in a basement in a Brooklyn apartment, talking wow. myself out of the demons. Wow, which it was very easy. I mean, I called my sister once, and I'm sure she doesn't mind me saying it, but I was like, I think I'm gonna do us all. And she was yeah. like, I got a better idea. How about I come over and make you dinner? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you should come over now. She's like, I'll be right there. It took her an hour and a half yeah. to get there because yeah. she lives yeah. an hour and a half away. Yeah. But she got right in the car, got down there. Yeah. And I was yeah. better by the time I saw her. But you need that support group. If, if you've not got it, and some of these guys that we, we, we work with in the faucet, they don't have it. They don't have that support network. And it, I've said to you before, it can lead to some very, very dark places and we need to get charities out there that support men even though it's not politically viable for anyone to say it we need to get out the fact that the domestic abuse laws and papers are purely written that women are victims and men are the assaulters and it's not true you know there needs to be a section in there that is for men and we need to get it out there as, as much as we can many support groups charities get some finances into this so that men are not alone and i go back to that statistic Eight men a day, United Kingdom kill themselves. 
Eight men a day. Eight men a day. And our law system and our police system encourages that. Proactively encourages that statistic. If you're not standing up against it, you're encouraging it. If you're silent, if you're silent, you're encouraging it. You got it. it. The woman, the woman's believed. The man is, is guilty before innocent. No due diligence done. Placing a man without seeing his children, being caught, being accused of all these things that he's not done, financially could be homeless out of the home at the end. And if that's not going to put a push a bloke to the limits, if he's not well, I don't know what is. Um, the statistics are just all the wrong way around. All the wrong way around. And I luckily, I got married the first time in my 30s. So I was well past yeah. that tw- the 20 year old uh, not thinking straight yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. we all go through in our 20s and yeah. our teens. <laughs> Yeah, it does. It does. But you know, mental, mental health—it's um, mid forties, early fifties—that is the high, that the highest rate in the United Kingdom for men. Really? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah mental health is, is the other kind of soapbox that I have. You know, I don't think we understand enough about it. If someone's broken their leg, you don't expect them to run. Well, if someone's broken their brain, why do you expect them to be able to cope normally? You know, it's, it was described to me once. Described to me once that um, the brain is is the biggest organ. You've got the most important organ. Nothing else works without it. And someone has a heart attack. We've got medication, we've got support, we've got time off work. Someone has a breakdown. It's the equivalent of having a heart attack to the brain. No support, no nothing, no laws, no, all you're told is to roll your sleeves and get on with it and stop being dope this week. Man, that's wrong. It's, it's, it's just medically wrong. We need support in there. And the things we've just been talking about can lead someone's brain to just go, I can't cope with this. You know, it can lead that brain to go, but all these things are being said to me. They're not right. I can't deal with it. Two years waiting list to, to see a counsellor in the United Kingdom. Can you imagine if you had a heart attack and it was a two-year waiting list to see a surgeon to put your pacemaker in? <laughs> it's just... You might as well be visiting the coroner because that's what you'll, that's what you'll see first. <laughs> now, I'm not in any way trying to, to – to, again, I've got, of course I should be there, oh, all the support for physical illnesses. Of course there should be. But we've got a long way to go on, on support for, for mental health, a long, 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 long way. Well, John, I definitely appreciate you coming on the show. And, My uh, pleasure. And I better hear from you tomorrow afternoon. You got a five-hour yeah, window. No so worry. No I want to hear, Chuck, I got out. I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. If you don't hear from me, start worrying. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll send the Calvary your way. <laughs> Take care, friend. Brother, I'll talk to you soon. We must get our voices out there. Send us your stories to Why Daddy Never Cries at Gmail or Why Daddy Never Cries on Facebook. Remember, this is a daily and sometimes hourly struggle. So follow us on Daddy Never Cries at Twitter and Why Daddy Never Cries on Instagram. And let your voice be heard. Let's end the fatherless children's syndrome that's plaguing this world. You can't change what happened to you, brothers. So figure out how to make it work for you and your children. When life gave me lemons, I said to hell with a glass. I'm making an international lemonade franchise. So until next time, take a deep breath. You've got this, Daddy. Don't show me.